Blog Talk Radio. Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that means it's time for another awesomely exciting episode of Stunt Track with yours truly, Uncle Jim, and the one and only Leslie Hoffman. We have a, a interesting show planned for you guys tonight, mm-hmm. um, unexpected show to say the least, but uh, still I think it's going to be a fun one. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Star Trek legend Ricardo Maltoban and Tom Morga in honor of both of their birthdays. Uh, Ricardo Maltaban passed away, but Tom Morga is still amongst the living. And Leslie had the pleasure of working with both of these great men. So Leslie's going to share some of her stories about working with them, some behind-the-scenes stuff. And we're just going to hang out and have some fun for the next hour. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself. If you'd like to call, and ask Leslie a particular question. Our studio lines are always open to you guys, and we love to hear from our fans. The phone number is 646-668-2433. I'll say that one more time. 646-668-2433. If you'd like to call and ask Leslie a question about Deep Space Nine or Voyager or Fantasy Island, or Nightmare on Elm Street, or any of the projects that Leslie's been involved with over her career, please yep. give us a call. We'll get you right on the air, and you can talk to the Leslie Hoffman live and in person. So, with all of that out of the way, let's introduce the one and only Leslie Hoffman. Leslie, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, I've been doing fine, actually. I don't know. <laughs> as as you know, even down there, the weather can just be so strange. Uh, we're we're back to rain, but but it's been kind of cold. So so, depending on the temperature, that rain may turn into snow. But other than that, I'm doing great. Yeah, it was um, it was raining here in Vermont yesterday. Today, it was sunny and almost 60. It was 56. So we decided to go out to Winslow Farm 
and cut down a Christmas tree, which we did. And it was beautiful. Uh, we didn't have to wear coats or gloves or hats or anything. It was gorgeous. Found a tree in record time because since there was no snow, the trees weren't frozen. So they were all standing, you know, upright without any snow or ice on them. Cut our tree down. We had them wrap it, brought it home, put it up, decorated it, and uh, we're all ready for Christmas now. Sharon and Jamie even put the outside lights on our trees as well because it was such a nice day. Um, so we got a lot done today. It was really nice here, really nice. Yeah. No, oh, that's you, great. No, it, you, you, you just, well, I call it the Adirondack weather for for sake of you being in Vermont, I'll call it the Northeast weather. Is you don't you don't know like uh, um, I mean we could have we could have snow for Halloween, um, grass for Thanksgiving or winter. Well, usually you could have a brown Christmas even, and then all of a sudden you hit January and it's twenty below zero. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes sometimes that that cold weather and snow can stick with us too. April, May, it can still oh, be yeah. cold and and yeah, so it's a short season up here, very short. But I love it. You're saying the summer season <laughs> is very short. Yeah. Or are you <laughs> Yeah. Up here up yeah, here the it's win- eleven the winter months. Of, usually, goes- it's eleven months of snow and one month of mud, <laughs> is what yeah. they like to say. <laughs> did you uh, did you get your snow tires uh, put on your car yet? In anticipation of the weather change. Uh, no. Actually, I never took my snow tires off because the building I live in has been under quarantine, so I really haven't been allowed to drive the car around. So, you know, it got to be uh, April, then May, then June, then July, and then, well, you know, once you're into July, now you're going, well, normally I would have had my regular tires on the car by August or September, you might be looking at putting your winter tires back on or your snow tires back on. And like I say, since I really didn't do that much driving, I never switched back to my regular tires this year. (laughs) Oh, I hear that. (laughs) So the answer is my snow tires are on my car. Well, so that's good. You're prepared. You're you're being prepared, proactive. (laughs) Oh yeah, no. I I mean, you know, you could wake up in the morning. Well, like I say you wake up in the morning and you could look out and it could be just brown. It could be snow. It could be raining. You until you open your eyes up in the morning, you don't know what's going on outside. I mean, that's, no, and, that's and- the type of year we're at right now. We we watch the, the evening news every night, and every night we all look at Saranac Lake, and Saranac Lake is, is undoubtedly always, always the coldest point on the entire New England map is always Saranac Lake, all the time. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're I don't know why. Here. 
but <laughs> it is. It's you, they when they put the temperatures up, Saranac Lake is always five, ten degrees colder than every place else around it. It's like a polar vortex is right over Saranac Lake. Yep, I <laughs> never understood it, but but <laughs> for some reason we we don't necessarily get. Um, a lot of snow. When I was a child, we used to get a bunch of snow, but but uh, I mean, we'll have a, a nor'eastern once in a while. I mean, if anybody gets a lot of snow, it's Buffalo, which is like eight hours uh, due west from us, but that's lake effect snow. Right. But, right, but cold, yes, we get cold. Well, the, I mean... The famous story, I, I was born January 21st, and it was 40 below zero. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's what my father said. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't get the car started. My mother's in labor, and he can't get the car started. But uh, back then, uh, he had a delivery truck for the pharmacy, and I was delivered to the hospital in a delivery truck. He got the truck started. Well, that makes sense, you know, a delivery yeah. in a delivery right. truck, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyways, so as we've been doing before we dive into our topic of the night, we always discuss Star Trek Discovery on Trek, which myself, Charles and Eric will do on Thursday night, so you guys can tune in for that. But since Leslie's not on Trek talking with me on Thursday nights, I usually like to start off this show with finding out what Leslie thought about the most recent episode of Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Lower Decks or Star Trek Picard, whatever show it happens to be. In this case, it's Star Trek Discovery, um, episode six. Oh, no, episode seven, I'm sorry, uh, Unification 3. And before we talk about that, for those of you who aren't aware, Unification 3 is actually a continuation of Unification Part 1 and Part 2 from TNG. And that was the episode where we saw Leonard Nimoy return to the role of Mr. Spock. And we also got to see, we didn't actually see it, but... We saw Mark Leonard return to the role of Sarek, and that was the episode where Sarek passed away. We didn't see it on screen, but we do get a communique. Uh, Spock received a communique that Sarek has passed away from Bendai syndrome. So that was Unification 1 and 2, um, 1991, actually, I believe that was. And here it is in 2020, and we're finally getting a Part 3 to that episode 30 some odd years later so if you want to uh, review your history if you don't remember that episode go back to tng watch unification part one unification part two and then tune into star trek discovery and watch unification part three so with all the history out of the way and everybody caught up to date um you know we're going to talk a little bit here we're going to find out what leslie thought about um, unification part three and uh, we're going to do that right now but before we do that though I do have to give you guys a little warning 
Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some spoilers. So if you have not seen Unification Part Three yet, please uh, go and watch it, and then come right back here to the podcast. So Leslie, what were your thoughts on Unification Part Three? Now that I've built it all up. I g- I, I, <laughs> it was really strange to see three different Spocks, but, well, obviously, <laughs> to me, the unification was, the unification of Spock, <laughs> you know, that you got to see, um, I say, him as, as a child with Michael, and then, and then, um, pre-Leonard Nimoy, even though Leonard Nimoy came first. Uh, so so it was interesting to see the progression of, of Spock. Um, I, at first, I was really confused about Michael's mother. You know, it, it seemed like she was um, <laughs> just throwing her daughter to, you know, to the to the dogs or whatever you want to call it. You know, here Michael thinks that the mother is helping her. But then I guess I guess the mother did help her. But it made it for a moment it seemed like like I say she turned on her. Is that I I think she the mother drove Michael to pull pull back the request cuz she knew that that uh there was a better chance if um uh oh I forgot what they called the new planet Navarre or something like that. Navarre. Yes. That that I I think the mother knew that in a way of not asking or not backing them into a corner that they would uh offer the information that Michael was after. I think if Michael had kept pushing, I mean, it was obviously that she she was losing ground. I mean, the only thing that confuses me is I, I, <laughs> I feel like on Discovery, a lot of people die except they don't die. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it, it's it's like this over and over again. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's like you thought the mother was dead or 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 I forget what other characters on Discovery, you know, you thought they were dead. Oh, Giorgio. Um, and and then all of a sudden they're back again. And I don't understand how a human being suddenly became um a Romulan nun, or well, I guess, I guess she was accepted into it. But uh, I mean, just like I guess, just like Michael was accepted as a child of um, Sarek, the Vulcan family, you know, the family. So I guess humans can live on Vulcan or the new planet. But it, it, it. it it had a it had a bunch of uh, uh, <laughs> of turns and curves that that I wasn't ready for. 
But then I was happy. Grudge was at the end of the mo- of the episode. <laughs> yeah, I you know I, I I I agree. I thought it was great to see all three Spocks in one episode, and that just pretty much cements the fact that there is only one Spock, and these are just different actors playing Spock at different stages of his life. And I thought that was really really cool to finally put that to rest. That. The young Spock that we see on Vulcan with Michael Burnham, the bearded that we see in season two and that we're going to see on uh, Strange New Worlds with Captain Pike, and the version that Leonard Nimoy plays in TOS and the movies and then on TNG are all the same Spock, just different parts of his life. So I thought that was great that they finally put that to rest, that this is Spock, so period. That was awesome. And yeah. I, I thought that you're you're absolutely right, Leslie. When her mother comes on the ship and first talks to Michael, she says to Michael, there's other people watching you. And you don't quite understand what she's talking about. But the Vulcan president, whose name I don't recall, <laughs> was watching the whole thing and touring the, sh- the ship with Saru. And when Michael's mother broke her down, and you're absolutely right. It felt like she was throwing her under the bus. But in reality, she she really wasn't. She was getting her to speak the truth. And once she spoke the truth and the Vulcan president saw her sincerity, the president gave her the information she wanted, even though she withdrew her request. So I, I think that's what they what she was trying to do the whole time. Michael's mother knew that. I think she knew that she wasn't going to convince the quorum to do anything, but if she could stick to her guns, the the Vulcan president, whose name I don't remember, uh, would do that. And that's exactly what she did. So um, I think you're absolutely right. Now, well, that's what I'm saying. I I think she was sticking to her truth, but as you say, the quorum, even listening to the truth would have never said yes to her. You know, it, right. like you say, it was it was more that she withdrew the request was what put it over. Yes, because the now that the Vulcans and Romulans are living on a planet called Navarre, the Romulans wanted to give Michael the information, and the Vulcans didn't. So, so that request was causing more more social political strife in the planet. And Michael says that that's not what Spock wanted. Spock wanted them to be unified together. Quest was going to tear them apart. That's not what Spock wanted. So she withdrew her request so that they would stay together. And when she did that, that's when the Vulcan president gave her the information that she wanted. So I think that Michael's mother had that planned the whole time. Yeah. And I then um, another, I don't know if they really, don't, don't know, they had scenes in this episode, is the, you know, the question of Tilly becoming number two. And and I think it allows, actually it allows Michael more freedom. I mean, it's, it's um, oh, great, I can't think of a, is it balance of terror when when Kirk supposedly went crazy and and went into Romulan space, 
but yeah. but because yeah. he was crazy it didn't it didn't really implicate the whole enterprise crew it only catered Kirk is being crazy. Now, I'm not saying Michael is being crazy, but I think Michael, in as the number two position, if she does something that causes problems, it implicates the whole ship. With her just as a well, <laughs> actually, I just I just thought about lower decks. Is that you know if you're not in a command position if you're just a member of the crew and you do something wrong it it lays just on you i mean it it doesn't look good for the ship but at least it doesn't implicate the ship right exactly so so tilly being named as number two um I mean, I guess there's the question where she felt that she wasn't good enough to be number two, but I'm going on the whole thing that I don't think Michael really could be number two because if she's trying to do things and something goes wrong, well, now I'm repeating myself, and if something goes wrong as number two, she she's risking the whole ship. You know, as a, 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 a I say, I'm sorry, I'm that I'm repeating, but as just a crew member could be reprimanded at, reprimanded as a crew member, as as an officer, she could get the whole ship in trouble. And then the only exactly. other thing, and the only other thing is, for some reason, I just don't like that admiral at at the Federation. I don't know why. I don't know where I'm sensing this from, but I just don't like them. <laughs> I don't know why. I can't tell you a reason why, but I don't trust them. Well, you know, there's a lot of fans. That the, the big thing on the Internet going on right now is that they promoted Tilly and that they shouldn't have done that because she was only an ensign, and it's, it's, it's lazy writing. It's terrible writing. These people don't understand Star Trek. Uh, you know, a, a military would never put an ensign in command and blah, 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 blah. But here's my response to all of that. First of all, it's a unique situation. There are a thousand years in the future. How could Starfleet ever assign a first officer that could understand and relate to what these people have gone through? That's the first thing. Second thing, people forget this. In TNG, Picard promoted ensign with no Starfleet training, I don't even think he had a college education. As far as we know, he just graduated high school. He was the son. He was the son of Picard's love interest, who just coincidentally happened to be his chief medical officer. And he puts him at the navigation console on the flagship of the Enterprise of the Federation, being the Enterprise, and. I'm sure there were other crew members on the ship that would have loved that position. And yet nobody really seemed to bring that up or care too much about that. But Tilly becoming interim first officer seems to be a big problem. And I don't know if it's because people are sexist because they don't want to see a woman in in command of if they just don't like the show and are looking for things to complain about. 
But um, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. I think it's a great idea because, oh, well, well, oh, my God, we're out of time. Leslie, we have to take our first commercial break for Odyssey Radio, believe it or not. So uh, listen, listen, guys, everybody that's listening at Odyssey Radio, um, we'll be right back with you guys after this, this brief commercial break. For the rest of our listeners that are listening on Blog Talk Radio or Stitcher, iHeart Radio, um, Amazon, wherever you're listening to us, we're just going to hear a very quick message, and we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Hey, guys, this is Uncle Jim from Trek Talk, and here to invite you to join us for the best sci-fi-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and other related sci-fi content, and we want to hear from you. Just call 646-668-2433 on Thursday night from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we'll get you on the air. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Kapla! And we're back. So I also think that Tilly is the one person on the ship that the rest of the crew can relate to and can handle and deal with. And I think that 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 motherly type of relationship that she seems to have with a lot of the crew would work in favor of Saru and keeping that crew unified and together. So I think that Tilly is the perfect, perfect choice for that position. And from a writing standpoint, think about this. They, they now have Jet Reno as the chief engineer. They now have Adira Gray, who's also in engineering. They have Stamets in engineering. That doesn't leave much space for, en- for Tilly in engineering. They just demoted Michael Burnham to science, which opens up that position on the bridge. So by moving Tilly up there, that gives the actor, the character, an opportunity to do things that she could not have done if she was still in engineering with Stamets. So from a writing perspective, I think it's anything but lazy. I think it's brilliant because it's going to give Mary Wiseman an opportunity to dig her teeth into some, some juicy situations that she would not have had the opportunity to do in engineering. So I think it's a great move for the show and for the character. So that's my take on it. So overall, yeah, well, I, what did you I think agree. about the episode? Did, did you enjoy it overall? Yes. Yes, I did. I, I, I still, you know, that, um, well, maybe this is what they want, is that I still feel like, you know, what's going to happen with Book? What's going to happen with the Federation? Uh, I forgot, what is it SB-19? You know, what is this SB-19? I mean, uh, I'll tell you, Discovery reminds me of of the old movie serials you used to go watch at movie theaters when when you were a kid on Saturday, you know, whether it was uh Buck Rogers or or uh the Cisco Kid or this is way before my time but Perils of Pauline or you know uh, that discovery reminds me more of of that. Is that um I don't know I don't know if you could just watch let's say episode 7 and and understand it it's there you know you there's too many 
<laughs> there's seasons, there's series before it that you'd have to know what's going on to understand episode seven. So, so this right. is like one huge serial. Yep, exactly. I and agree. I'm enjoying and, it. And I, I like it. I, I enjoy it, actually. I'm enjoying that. So, all right, well, we've talked about discovery, and now it's time to get into the meat and potatoes of our conversation tonight. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you have a question for Leslie, give us a call. I'll get you on the air. And right now, I have to play a little sound clip to kind of warm you guys up. So give this a quick listen, and you'll know exactly where we're going. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet, buried alive, buried alive. So, yes, Ricardo Maltaban is no longer with us, but his birthday was this week, would have been this week. And as many of you know, Leslie Hoffman had the great opportunity of working with Ricardo Maltaban. And so I just thought it would be fun to, to hear some of Leslie's stories about Ricardo Maltaban uh, um, to help us celebrate his birthday this week. So uh, we know him as Khan. I just played the clip from uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and from the TOS episode, The Space Seed. Um, But Leslie actually had the opportunity to work with him. So, uh, Leslie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ricardo Maltaban and and the kind of person that he really was? Um, He... Well, you know, the first time I saw him was watching the the original series episode, Space Seed. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead and then going back to it, is that uh, he portrayed Khan, the magnetism that he had as Khan, to me is very much like Mark Alamo's Goldicott, in Deep Space Nine, there's something about a bad boy image, which is done very well. For some reason, people love love the bad guy. And I think Ricardo and Mark Alamo uh, succeeded with both those characters. Uh, I th- Obviously, like you say, Ricardo definitely did a great job in the episode or or they wouldn't have made a movie or made the movie with them in it. I mean, you know, they, exactly. they, they were, there were that many, every episode had sort of a villain, but, but they didn't pick any other episode. I mean, they, they just love, <laughs> they loved Khan as well as, as the uh, fans did. And, uh, and developed that space or space seed, the episode Space Seed, you know, into its own movie. Um, I got to work with him on Fantasy Island, uh, different different uh, episodes. 
I was never in the same scene with him, but you know they're deal they're filming different scenes during the day, so he was on he and I were on the set together at the same time, and we got to talk and i mean he again he was just he was the most unbelievable gentleman it wasn't even until later that when I started looking at his IMDb or I love watching TCM, uh, you suddenly realize he was a movie star before he was even on television. I mean, he was a leading man. Now, the interesting thing is he's Mexican, and the (laughs) studios, it was really strange. The studios did not want the world to know that he was Mexican. So they made him or suggested to the public that he was a Latin lover. In other words, he was South American. And if you watch the movies he was in, like you say, he, it's it's that somebody's going down to South America and they're meeting him down there. Um, they did do one movie where where they actually had his character Mexican, and and I mean, how do I say it? It was an ugly movie. It was a it was showing the prejudice against somebody who was Mexican. So it's very interesting that you can be Hispanic, but what Hispanic you are is how the public views you one way or you know good or bad and. Like I say, for some reason, South America is wonderful and Mexican is bad. Uh, but back to Fantasy Island, it, it was so wonderful. I remember driving onto the lot. I, I've, I've said this story before. I, I had a cheap Toyota. It was either a Corona or a Corolla. And I, I had them put a fake leather top on my car. The So the car was two-toned, white, and it had the fake leather top on it. And and people who remember is that uh, Ricardo was famous for, <laughs> except that I forgot the, which car it was, but, but it, the big line in the commercial was, and it has real Corinthian leather. And so I drive on to the Warner Brothers lot, and he walks up to my car. That This is what was so amazing about the man, is he walks up to my car, not that I walk up to him. And he goes, Leslie, that is a very nice car. And I so much wanted to say, and it has real Corinthian leather, but I figured that wasn't very – that was not a good idea, so I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's you know you get well like like uh, the the clip you just played you know with William Shatner is that if you think of uh, Ricardo Montalban and you think of William Shatner you think of Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's why I played it. <laughs> <laughs> But then um, several years, so so I worked with him on Fantasy Island, and then several years later, I got the job on Naked Gun, doubling the queen going down the banquet table. Now, again, stunt people do not get a script, so I don't know who's in the movie. I have no idea what the movie's about. I walk onto the set, and the voice greets me. 
What was that? <laughs> <laughs> My computer is doing all the crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I, anyways, I walk on the set and and this voice greets me and I turn around and it's Ricardo, and I mean he said hello Leslie. I wish I could do his accent. I mean, he just has a type of voice that when you hear it, you just melt, or at least for me, I did. And and again, Ricardo walked up to me on Naked Gun and greeted me. I mean, you know, like I say, it's the same thing as the Warner Brothers lot when I drove on with my cars. That This movie star, this television star, I mean... Um, he had already done uh, the Star Trek movie. He walks up to me on Naked Gun and says, hello, Leslie. Uh, I mean, it, it just, those are days that, that you're just never going to forget. And then, um, you know, back then, well, I guess they really can't stop it nowadays with cell phones is you were, you know, you weren't supposed to bring a camera on a set. A set. You're not supposed to take per- personal pictures on the set. But a fellow stunt person had a camera on the set, and he actually asked Ricardo if he would take a picture with me uh, dressed up as a queen. And I I have that picture to this day, and and I'm really glad... You know, you're you're kind of embarrassed that the stunt person said that. You know, can I take a picture of you and Leslie? But but now I'm glad he did because because that picture just brings back such wonderful memories. And and that picture is on the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page, so all the fans can go and see it. Correct. I think I saw yeah. it there. Posted again. You know, it's probably buried somewhere at this point, but uh I could repost it again that that uh people can current currently see it. Yeah. So but what was your, your overall your overall opinion of Ricardo Maltobon, both as a as a person and as an actor before we move on? He again he was he was just such a wonderful I know this almost sounds funny normal human being I mean again there there've been uh movie stars and television stars that when they aren't needed on the set they're in their dressing room you can't you cannot talk to them I mean Ricardo was not one of those people. He he definitely wanted to talk to the cast and the crew, and he was there with the rest of us. I mean, you, you know, they didn't have to send somebody to his dressing room to to find him. He he was on the soundstage with the rest of us. He was just, like I say, the most wonderful person in the world. Um. You know something that I remember, and and I don't remember either of them saying anything about this. But Ricardo Montalban had injured his back on a movie, 
and James Garner had injured his back on a movie, and neither of those guys ever complained about their back injury. I mean, they they just work, came to work, and they worked. You know, it wasn't like, don't touch me or, or don't push me or anything like that. They were just, well, I guess what I'm really trying to say is they were very happy people. I mean, it again, they weren't snobs. That's that's good to hear. That is excellent. And we have one more person that we want to talk about in honor of his birthday. And this is a person who's currently still alive and with us. And this is a person that you know personally and that we've talked about in the past. And, of course, you want to take an opportunity to say to, to wish a very happy birthday to Tom Morga. And with that, Leslie, I will let you take over and, and tell us about how awesome Tom Morga really is. Yeah, uh, Tom, Tom and I uh, met each other before we even got our Screen Actors Guild cards. You know, we both wanted to be stunt people. Most stunt people or most people that become stunt people have some kind of physical background. Mine was gymnastic. Uh, Tom was just very physically active. He actually, um, he was born in Burbank, which, which, uh, uh, being a native Californian or a native person from the Los Angeles area was was kind of rare. I guess it's not so rare now, but um, but he was a smoke jumper, and that's that's those those guys that uh, the, if there's a forest fire, they're they're in a plane, and and they go to where they're flown to where the fire is and jump out and. And they start digging trenches, and you know they they try to contain a forest fire. So as I mean, you know, so he's a parachutist. Uh, not that he ever, believe it or not, he never did do a parachuting stunt. But as a smoke jumper, um, you may to be too young for this, but uh, or maybe not. There used to be the show Mutual of Omaha. Uh, I forget the whole I name. I remember but, uh, Mutual of and, Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yes, I remember okay. it. And they would do different subjects. And at least this is what Tom told me, was that they were doing a story on smoke jumpers. And he became fascinated with... The entertainment industry, you know, they filmed the smoke jumpers jumping out of the plane, and and I don't know, I I mean, I it'd be interesting to find that episode and watch it, but I'm not sure how you'd find it. Anyways, so so um, he was either in Montana. I know that there was a second place that he he also was a smoke jumper. But most of his uh, years was up in Montana. But on his return to Los Angeles, he started looking into how to become a stuntman. And and that's where, um, well, actually he, Dennis Madalone, who became the stunt coordinator of Next Generation Deep Space Nine and Voyager, 
we found this little gym in Santa Monica where would-be stunt people would would practice high falls and fighting and and sword fighting and you name it. We we taught ourselves and we finally got into the business and and Dennis and Tom and I have been friends since the late seventies. Um, uh, jumping, I mean, he's had a, an amazing career. If you look at Tom's IMDb credits, I mean, you'll just see that this guy worked all the time. But jumping later to uh, Star Trek, uh, they were doing the motion picture, which would I think is 1979, and they needed a stunt double for Leonard Nimoy. They needed a double for Spock, uh, and Tom got the job. But but they started using him for for other parts. There's, I think it's the very beginning of the film. Is the Klingons, uh, the commander is sitting down, and the Klingons are there's like two or three Klingons standing up next to the commander. Well, one of those Klingons is Tom, and and he got to say a line in 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 in, in Klingon. <laughs> so, um, but the other interesting thing is, this was when they were developing what a Klingon should look like. I mean, you know, back in the '60s, you just put darker um, makeup on them. Now they wanted the Klingons to look like an alien. So they actually made a bust, or or, uh, it's called a life mask, of Tom and and made it into a head. And and it's his head that they developed the Klingon prosthetics on. So so all these... Yeah, I mean... (laughs) How'd you like to be? It was my head that made the the Klingons. Um, but he's he's been in several others of the Star Trek movies. Um, uh, I don't know if they if they've shown it. I I feel like in one of the uh, Star Trek books. Um, okay, I always like to say I get bad at the names of the different movies, but it was the one with uh, Spock's half-brother. Yeah, Star Which Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yeah. Okay. It's one of my favorites. There was, the, there was supposed to be a rock man, and Tom was that rock man, except it ended up on the cutting room floor. But if you... Uh, there's... I think there's a makeup book that has a picture of Tom as the rock man or okay what uh what uh I think it's undiscovered country he was the brute when when uh the woman was changing into different things and and she became that huge well I say it was the brute the uh, if you want to call him well he wasn't really an abdominal snowman but Tom was the brute. In fact, uh, there's a trading card with Tom on it as the brute. Um, and 
And so from the movies, uh, like you say, then there was Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. Tom has either played his own parts or or uh, and and had lines or he's been he's stunt doubled Riker in Next Generation um i mean he's doubled like any 6 foot 1 guy tom was the go to guy uh he's been almost every alien except a ferengi because he'd be too tall we've been, we've been too, through this is that he'd be a ferengi with a thyroid condition <laughs> You, you don't have a six yeah. foot one Ferengi. Um and then the other thing that that uh he told me once that uh he feels like every leading character of of the different series, now I don't know if that includes Enterprise, he feels like every one of them has killed him at one point or another. You know, whether it was Picard or 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 Riker, or, or um, you know, uh, Cisco, or whatever. He's been killed. Everybody has killed Tom Morga. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, just to be fair, you've been killed off a couple of times too. So, and you got to crash the ship. Oh well, I'm sure he's crashed the ship as well. I I've never really looked in into that, but I'm sure he's done uh, <laughs> some. I'll call it plan, panel blasts. Um, the other specialty is that Tom is just a genius when it comes up to rigging and setting up a stunt safely. Uh, on three different occasions for me, I know that I had to go to Tom because I'm being told how the stunt is, how I'm supposed to do the stunt, and I know it's wrong. And unfortunately, I'll say, <laughs> I hope I hope for certain somebody isn't listening, is that it's sexist. Is that when I would say the stunt is set up wrong, I'd be told no. You don't know what you're talking about. So I would go to Tom, and I would tell him, they're trying to kill me. The stunt is set up wrong, and I'd explain the stunt and what they wanted me to do. And Tom would either be working on the set that day, and he would change the stunt around to make it safe for me. Or he would tell me, if if he couldn't make it to the set that day, he would tell me what I needed to change and I mean, he to me, he saved my life three t- different times uh, from getting hurt because because so why you say he? Oh, go ahead, Leslie. Believe it or not, we are out of time. Can you believe it? <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Well, then let me. Yeah. For horror fans, he's been in Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. I we are out of time, and I just finished yep. what I wanted to say. <laughs> so I just wanted to to say to everybody, I hope you guys all had a very safe and very happy Thanksgiving. I want to take this opportunity to tell everybody to head on over to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page and like and follow us over there. 
And please, if you have any questions or comments or show ideas, drop them on the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page, and Leslie will get right back to you. I also want to take this opportunity to say thank you to the Leslie Hoffman for hanging out and uh, talking with us tonight because we couldn't do the show without her. So thank you very much, Leslie. Oh, thank you. I, it's it's always a pleasure talking about about Star and Trek. We didn't get Planet of the Apes in tonight, oddly enough. <laughs> Ricardo Montalban was the carnival owner in Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's right, Leslie. You pulled our butts out of the fire. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> but we did. And, of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Uh, please tune in Thursday night to Stunt Trek or to uh, Trek Talking and Beyond. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Unification 3, which Leslie and I just chatted a little bit tonight, and Mandalorian. Um, chapter 13, The Jedi. You don't want to miss that. So with all of that out of the way, I want to say thank you and good night. And hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.